motorcycles and misfits here at the recycle garage in sunny santa cruz california and you could not tell by the silence behind me that there's people in this room no there's not hello <laughs> i'm not here ain't nobody here there is i think it's uh it's been low counts because we're going through our winter right now yeah the problem is it was not sunny santa cruz today on people the don't realize we go through our winter about now it gets foggy and cold and i have to clarify fucking freezing <laughs> means it's below 70 yeah <laughs> all those fair weather bitches out there staying at home <laughs> It's really all relative. Hey, everyone. This is Liza. How do you do? I'm trying out new taglines. How's that one? I like it. How do you do? (laughs) How you doing? Pretty straight to the point. And next to me, we've got Knock. Hi. Talk about straight to the point. That's right. (laughs) All up in there. All up in your point. I think the point is somewhere behind you, Knock. Diddling the point horribly. Running the board tonight, we've got Bagel. Who's the man now, dog? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's the man now? <laughs> um, In the name of fuck was oh, I remember abs- that. <laughs> First it was the movie, and then there was the website. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the man now, dog? <laughs> I have even seen the website. Oh, you haven't? It's no. great. Just type in who the man who you're, yeah, you know. All right. Clownpenis.fart. You'll get you right there. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. On the pretty girl couch tonight, we've got Miss Emma. Hello, darling. How do you do? I'll take a martini shaken, not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> oh, making a ruckus in the room, we've got Charger. <laughs> <laughs> She's, she's chasing like an invisible gopher under the carpet, I think. I know. We've got dogs. And Bosley, no doubt, will let out a fart. Well, Bosley has yeah, been on the kitty, kitty Roka diet. He has uh-huh. been. Three farts Bosley and four snores fart. each show. Also, yeah. on the Pretty Girl Couch tonight, we've got Electric Terry. Go electric. <laughs> and on the train side of the room, we've got John. Hola, cabrones. Yeah, we're getting uh, ethnic in up Espanol. in here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't sound sexy. Mm. What did you say, Kitty Roca? I said motorcycles and misfits are awesome. Oh, that does sound <laughs> sexy. My bad. That's right. <laughs> All right. There's been a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. A lot to talk about. So let's just get to some of the um, just let's get to some of the announcements, highlights, so, things, yeah. and stuff. John, you have an announcement to share with us. Yeah. So, um, those of you who know me know that I've been involved with uh, Moto America a little bit over the last couple of years, and uh, they just did three rounds out in California. Uh, The one that happened last weekend was in Pittsburgh, Mm. and uh, the long-term announcer, Brian Dreber, um, died actually on his way to the, as I understand it, on his way to the airport 
uh, on his motorcycle oh, damn. to uh, to fly to Pittsburgh. And, and Brian's been an AMA announcer for since the seventies, and wow. kind of is a, a seminal guy in in motorcycle road racing. So I, you know, I just want to send did out. He die and then crash, or did he crash and then die? He crashed and died. I think okay. he died on the way to the hospital. Mm. So. You know, I just want to send greetings and love out to all the Moto America yeah. family and the Brian's family yeah, and to, you know, tough. it was tough on the whole team. I was getting texts from some of the crew and they were really struggling. Oh, wow. Wow. That wow. is always hard. Yeah, thanks for that announcement, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, um, we're going to be getting a report next week. Our friend, uh, racer Johnny Knowles. Oh yeah, he is racing, and we are partial sponsors. He's, yeah, you recall he had that, had that accident, and then he had to have part of his finger. Did somebody donate removed. a finger to him? Is and what we did? Uh, this is his first time back on the track in a race, and this uh, this uh, is so funny. He asked me if we wanted to sponsor him in this. It's a mini bike endurance race, and I said, "Isn't that like an oxymoron?" Like, like, because he, he said it's like it's legit. Like people from around the world come. It's a thing, man. And it's a twenty-four hour endurance race on mini bikes. Where is it at? Yes, mini bike. <laughs> it's in mini bike land. <laughs> it's in California. Ah. Um, oh, is it one of those gor- gorilla type situations where? No, like what? you know, he said this is a world class event. Wait, what's it called? Uh, we'll be getting a report on it next oh, week. Okay. I'm just letting you know. I thought right. it was fascinating that there is this big race and is in a 24-hour endurance race on mini bikes. What did we sponsor him for? Uh, for the fee to registration fee. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, do we get a sticker, or do we, does he get a sticker or something that he has to stick on his helmet? Or oh no, he, we get the rights to share his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem well. Whatever. You quick, quick knock. You've already knocked a bunch of my toys off the wall, and here you are picking another one. Up. Dude, I'm fidgety. No, he's fiddling. Oh he's fiddling gosh. with the goods. Dude. So, um, where's Johnny out with his finger now? Because he was here what a month or so yeah. ago, and he, he knew it was going, but he was still it's kind gone. of mourning it. <clears throat> and it was a strange-looking finger. I mean, it was definitely filleted. Um, filleted. Some, filleted. Filleted. <laughs> um, but yeah, is he, uh, yeah, the, the bone had died, so he, uh, they tried to save it, but the bone had died, so and he had to go has, and has, it. He, has he had that taken away yeah. from him? Oh, he has, so, yeah, okay, so, so. Okay. yeah, he was going in to get that removed. Okay, very um, good. And it's not going to stop him from racing, but oh, good he, he needs no. to heal. And I think it's one of those things where I think he may have been back in the saddle racing faster if they had removed it instead of trying to save it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's just better to take that shit off. I mean, that's just less dead weight that he has to carry around, literally. <laughs> well, you know, he would have to pay. If you weigh a finger, you know, you'd have to pay a lot of money to remove that amount of weight from your bike. I mean, Probably. That'd be, that'd be a good amount of titanium. <laughs> you know, what's a finger weigh? Um, another thing I wanted to announce, it's pretty cool. This happened this week. Um, there was a woman who had an idea. She had, a, she had an idea. I thought it'd be really cool if women rallied together and created a relay ride around the world Mm. and she posted this in the women adventure rider group and it took off like wildfire and and by the end of the day the group had been formed and it's called the women riders world relay and it's a facebook group and they're looking for people to join from all over the world 
and we're going to create this giant relay loop and i they haven't decided yet what's going to be passed like they'll be uh, a yeah, baton or ask. something <laughs> uh but something that will be passed from woman to woman and travel around the world <laughs> so um <laughs> of course you know that like u.s and uk places like that i think there's going to be a lot of volunteers sure. but like i started hitting up the people in pakistan that i know and our friend truy truy over in belgium they're they're like trying to find 50 people just in belgium so they're trying to get people to cover the world right in this relay and i think it's a really cool concept look, look, look at knock over there knock's laughing about something i'm thinking knock's thinking they're going to pass this baton that has like three double a batteries in there <laughs> oh god no, i was gonna say we're gonna relay a sandwich oh my god but you know what horrible. one way to keep the men out of this is if they just pass the cotex there oh god <laughs> but if you Straight think the misogyny of, Oh, of course. You know, we we descend to that immediately. Uh, but if you think about it, it's it's a big deal getting involved in this and actually stepping up. And if you take California as an example, so here we are in California. There's a gazillion women like yeah. us who ride motorcycles in California. If somebody said sent you an email today saying tomorrow, can you ride your bike? From here in coastal California, say to Las Vegas, to pass a baton. How many do you think actually could do that? My guess is they'll probably well, be shorter. Well, I don't think lengths. they're going to say no. They're ha- people are signing up and registering. They're creating a giant map. Oh, interesting. Right, so, uh, so they, they have can, a, they have a route in mind. This has all happened within days. It's amazing. Uh, a, a route has been designed, and now they're having people register. You go to the Facebook group. Wow. Um, how's it again, gonna, how's it gonna women get riders world relay. How's it going to get across the ocean? Same way people who drive who ride around the world get their bikes there. They're going to ship their bikes to do the sure. baton. Sure. Wow. Just ship it from That's coast cool, to coast. Man. Why not? That's, what would they pass? That'd be so awesome, though. Um, like, I think it is really cool, and it's like going to unite or... women from around the world. Yeah, no, it's going to be dope. And to the women that organized it, um, it's really fascinating. It just kind of snowballed. They're like, oh, shit, I didn't get any work done today. All I've been doing is fielding messages. Where, where did it start? Uh, the point source of that? I don't remember where it is. It may be U.S. It's yeah. uh, no, 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 no. It's so, uh, somebody who's not English isn't their first language. That's There's cool. so many people have joined. I'm I'm not sure where it started. Mm. But again, go to you know if you're a woman who's interested in joining this, go to wim, woman women riders world relay and register. But you know the best thing about it is it's it's motorbikes. It's as simple as that. You know we we all share a bond all of us who love motorcycles share a bond with every single person around the world who has a love of motorcycles we've talked about this before exactly it's a wonderful thing so well the next thing i wanted to talk about um there's some some more changes that are happening and um you know it's been really hard for print media we know that cycle world made their change right. to go to was it four times a year now mm-hmm. but to become more of a salon mag style what yeah, you call it's, it, right? it's, yeah it's, it's very glossy very upmarket um, um, that was a d- direction they went but a lot of people are having to figure out what the future holds for print. And the same is happening to our local rag city bike 
magazine. And you'll remember that, um, God, it's been a while now. We had Serge Gish down here, editor, to talk about City Bike, and we have him on the phone. Well, hang year. on. Before, before we get involved with Serge, tell people a little about City Bike or get Serge to, because it's more than just yeah. a local rag. You know, Liza, know. City Bike is an institution. When I first came, I know uh, uh, we got... Uh, I got on the show originally, like I think in 2014. I think Bagel found me somewhere else, but uh, a guy named Gabe Etzhaken found me in 2012 when I had first come out here. So I was in the December issue of City Bike, and then he saw me again like three months later. And so um, I haven't. Uh, I don't know what 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 Gabe's up to these days. I think he switched publications, perhaps. But but anyway, he was right on top of it, you know. So and he put a couple issues in there. So they cover a lot of stuff. Well, we're going to find out what's been going on because we have Serge on the phone. With us. Serge, are you there? I am here. How's it going? Good. Thank you. You sound like you're slightly <clears throat> reclined. I am. I'm, uh, I'm in a, a rented hospital bed in my living room. Yeah, we'll get to that. So <laughs> there's been big changes happening at City Bike. What has been going on? Well, you know, we took over, my wife and I took over in uh, 2014 and kind of rebuilt the team and, and um, worked really hard to kind of re, um, reinvigorate the mag and, and regain some of the original SAS and all this. And over probably the last year or 18 months or realistically longer, it just became more and more clear that a, an advertising-supported model based on local shops and local advertisers was becoming more and more difficult as more and more shops had no budget or closed down or, you know, were bought by, you know, larger, larger organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, there are fewer uh, racing events that had previously been, you know, strong supporters in terms of advertising, things like that. So we started, you know, thinking about what we would do next. And ultimately after a long, long time of kind of going back and forth and, and fighting it off, decided we would go, uh, online only, and August 2018 was our last issue, which came out in the middle of uh, middle of July. So, was that a sad time for you, or it what, was, or was it a relief? I mean, it's both, right? Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that everybody in City Bike has a real job or or does you know a variety of other jobs as well. No one works full time at City Bike, and yet you know, the commitments required to do city bike are, are full time. So I have a real job and do city bike on top of that. And so it's been really difficult and it's actually not going to get easier just being online. The effort required to, to do what we do is still very, very high, but not having that monthly deadline is a little bit of a relief. Um, but it was really sad. The, um, uh, the, the last few minutes of the production cycle each month where we would get the final print file and work on it and be QA in it on Sunday before we go to print Sunday night, you know, it was, uh, it was always really, um, euphoric or, you know, amazing. We put this thing together over a few weeks and, and here it is, and it's getting ready to go off the big, huge printers. And, uh, it was always really, really exciting. And I missed that. Yeah. Are you guys like together in like a war room or something, just going over finer points when, when you do that, that at the end of it? Um, no, the production cycle is more like, I mean, we don't have an office, right? Oh, okay. We, we, we all, you know, just work wherever we are. And, yeah. and so, um, my wife and Helica did the layout and a lot of the photography and stuff like this and a lot of production work. So mm-hmm. she and I would spend the few days leading up to going to print, getting everybody's stuff and editing it and, you know, finalizing artwork and photos and stuff. And then, you know, doing last minute edits and, and, you know, QA and all this kind of stuff. And so the last couple of days, the last several days are usually just she and I yeah. uh, hunkered down in, in the house, um, wrapping it up. So 
what is the format now? How what I mean it's basically just a it's a website or it's an online mag. How does this work? So we decided not to try and do an online magazine, partly because um, I wanted to be freed up a little bit from having to put together an asset of a certain size. You know, um, you know, in order to have an online magazine, you need to commit to some page count or something like that. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do was remain free of like any sort of rules that we didn't create for ourselves. So um, we um, we're just like a website. We put up stories when we have stuff to say, and if we don't have anything to say, we don't. And what that has meant is that the last couple weeks. You know, with me being injured, things have slowed down a little bit, but we will continue to put out, you know, probably the same or more material than we did in a monthly magazine. It'll just be spread out throughout the month, which I actually think is cooler. It always kind of pissed me off to have a really cool, timely story and then not being able to print it for, you know, three weeks or something like this. But now you have the potential to reach a much larger audience. Yes. Yes. And so are the stories going to change? to the wider audience or is it still going to be more bay area focused we're still the same you know jokers so um (laughs) (laughs) i mean you guys can sympathize i'm sure um you know we're um we're bay area writers you know and i think that the bay area writing culture um is unique and interesting and and you know extrapolates out to a larger audience um this is something andy goldfine from aerostitch and i've talked about a lot like this is sort of a the 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 barrier writing culture has long been sort of a um a bellwether for the rest of the the country and the industry and all this kind of stuff it's changing a little bit now with the Mm -hmm. changes in the bay area but but still we've got guys that commute to work and then race on the weekend or or that you know go do like true adventure touring type stuff and then you know um ride their bikes at carnegie or whatever we've got a lot of variety of real riders here and capturing that culture and talking about it i think is still interesting to the rest of the the country um we also you know the way we did bike reviews and stuff always captured our our local flavor but at the same time i think we you know ever since the beginning probably we've always been a little bit bigger than just the bay area too so that'll stay intact um in 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 short you know we're just going to kind of keep doing what we do and um you know, we're not going to explicitly try and be more like a major magazine or anything like that, for sure. And I just want to clarify, where do people find this? Citybike.com. And it's C-I-T-Y-B-I-K-E.com, not city, like Citibank, which is a common common uh, mistake. <laughs> now, let's let's now cover why you're in a Renton hospital bed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I can't, you know, I can't give up all the details because I'm, I have a lawyer involved and I'm hoping that, um, I'm hoping to get some of my hospital bills and maybe some lost wages back and stuff. But anyhow, um, I was riding a scooter and um, there's wait, a lesson. Wait, uh, what? I told you, Bagel, they're death traps. <laughs> they are death traps. Freaking death traps. What, what kind of helix were you riding? That's the only I thing riding, I could see you on. So I was riding a Bergman 400. Okay. Um and uh which is an amazing machine we'll we'll have a full review of it um um, including some photos of it uh, in pretty bad condition um um, but i uh i'm very much an all the gear all the time rider i you know i I wear my stitch all the time i always wear boots and all this but i had uh taken the bergman to bart to, to go into the city to meet with some clients and then come back and and so i wore you know good helmet good gloves and like regular pants and like low top shoes and i never ever ever do that and i really wish that i hadn't because um uh, i had a sort of an encounter with the honda civic um that left my um yeah left my right foot um 
uh, uh, the metatarsals are all moved over about an inch, um, and my right knee is shattered and all this kind of stuff. So, oh, uh, man. Damn, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm like three weeks in now. I've had two surgeries already, uh, and they're going to put my foot back together hopefully at the end of this week. And that is why I am in a rented hospital bed. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're glad that you didn't lose it, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah, big time. The type of fracture I have in my foot is apparently sometimes uh, a precursor to amputation. Oh, wow. Oof. So, Well, since you're somebody who's um, connected and uh, tapped into all the information, maybe we can get you or get a quote from you. What do you think about this announcement today from Kegwins at the track? Which one? <laughs> The one that says they're closing their doors. Yeah, this is a touchy topic for me. Um, um, I've been pretty, uh, and I'll be vocal. Uh, I'll be very candid. And, and let's just um, state that so Kegwins is a is a track day. It's it's a provider. Yeah, track day provider yeah. that goes around to different tracks here in Northern California. How far do they reach? Kegwins. I think uh, they used to go down to Southern California. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think back in the day. I'm not sure if they still do. But it's but. a pretty large organization. Yeah, well-respected track day provider was purchased by from the original Kegwins um, uh, guy, you know, a couple years or mm-hmm. three or four years ago by the guy that owns it now and is now shutting it down. Um, I um, I've been pretty vocal about this, um, and I've I've taken a lot of heat for my position on this. Um, it's a very complex scenario, but um, the the situation in which um, Daniel Kim crashed at Laguna Seca and um, and then filed a lawsuit against Kegwins. Um, uh, Laguna Seca, uh, the county of of, uh, of Monterey, which runs the track, and and uh, and then also Mazda, I think, who was a sponsor at the time. And, and let's, just, let's just recap. So it was Laguna Seca. He was riding his Ducati on a track day. He had signed a waiver, as they have you sign, and he went wide in a turn and went off the track. And there were some sandbags piled up that were part of like the drainage system to divert water off of the track. And yes. he hit those and flew up and over and broke both of his legs. Yeah, he had some pretty significant injuries. He's in yeah. a bit worse shape than I am. So um, that, that's kind of the, the facts of what happened. But then he yes. turned around and sued, as you said. Uh, uh, Mazda sponsored Laguna Seca at the time, and Kegwins was the track day uh, that he was attending. And this was this happened in 2015. So this wasn't yes. something on the track. Like he went off the track and hit something. Yes. Yeah, he went like, off the track into what, a lawsuit. Why is there a lo- like if there was something on the track, I could understand it being a lawsuit. But if it was off the track, well, why is, is that not his own fault? This is this track? is part of the whole thing. We just let's let's just cue it up. Here. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so okay. so what do you got to say now? Um, yeah, I mean, this is a. I could talk about this for hours, but I'll try and keep it <laughs> you know simple. Um, I. Uh, we um, we began talking to his lawyer and pulling all the, the legal documents we get our hands on and all this kind of stuff to, to figure out um, what the situation was here. And we have some, some varying opinions within City Bike. Um, quite frankly, we have some folks who are AFM racers and stuff like that who have taken one position and, and um, others, myself included, who have taken another position. Um, after spending, I don't know, hours and hours and hours and hours on the phone with a lot of different lawyers who were not involved in the case and who were involved in the case, some of whom are riders and racers, so they have a unique perspective on it. Um, and you know, looking through the documents and all this kind of stuff, my opinion is that, like, the the, the community, the so-called riding community, has really disappointed and kind of disgusted me in this case. Yeah, um, they're really attacking Daniel Kim 
as if he's to blame for all this. And you can have you know the opinion that like it was you know you race on, or, or rather you ride on the track, you 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 take your licks or whatever, right? Or you accept the, accept the responsibility. But at the same time, track day providers such as Kegwins, who market themselves as being one of the safest track day providers, have a responsibility to their customers, and Daniel Kim included, to provide as safe as possible of an environment. And that's where the sandbag question comes into play, which is, you know, there was it hadn't rained in some time, and the sandbags were arguably in an area where if someone ran off, they would hit them, and um, uh, it would it would increase or it would, it would enhance the damage from the crash and increase the likelihood of a crash and if they you know had maybe not crashed in the runoff area and every single lawyer i spoke to riders included track day riders included said that that was a screw up on kegwin's part to not have then said to um laguna seca hey you got to remove these because they can't remove them themselves they, they would have had to either um you know ask kegwin's or i'm sorry ask laguna seca to remove them or cancel the track day um the other thing they could have done is simply advised folks in the safety meetings that hey um there's some sandbags over here riding accordingly and so what we know about this from the the legal paper from the paperwork for the lawsuit is that they apparently didn't advise anybody in the in the mm. the ride meeting and daniel kim wasn't in the ride meeting and they let him on the track without doing a a, a specific meeting with him which they probably should have either not let him ride or um simply you know done another uh, quick meeting with him he was an experienced track day rider he had done i think 10 or 12 track days with kegwins before hmm. so you know See, this i didn't think you were going this way because you know i've been to track days at sonoma where somebody died because they hit the wall because there's a wall there yeah totally you know but you're not suing anyone because there's a wall there you know it's there so you're right. saying the fact that this is something that was um out of the ordinary like yes okay I that's it. interesting walls are, walls are highly visible right you can see yeah. the wall it's self-evident that all the lawyers i spoke to and a lot of the um there are writers who say the sandbags shouldn't have been there and they still blame daniel kim or whatever but the thing is the the sandbags were dirty and kind of the color of dirt and all this kind of stuff and and a lot of folks still stick stick to this notion that it's his problem. We signed the waiver, and the waiver covers everything. But legally speaking, every lawyer I've spoken to on this has said waivers don't cover everything. They they have a a, a limitation of scope up to a certain amount of sort of rational scope. Yeah. And that it it, it really honestly appears that if someone at Kegwins had said like, hey, there's some sandbags out there, and had gone on the record with Laguna Seca <laughs> saying like, hey, we aren't comfortable with these being here in this runoff area, you should remove them. They probably would have been protected protected and the judge probably would have left um the suit with the track rather than kegwins my question is is this something that kegwins really screwed up on or like you said it hadn't rained in a while laguna seca didn't bring these out there the day before kegwins race they i assume right. that they've had other races there and they got overlooked from other race organizers as well yes. like so um so this is just so yeah. here's the thing. So here's the thing. The contract that Kegwin signs, as does every track day provider, I have this contract. It states that the track day provider, the lessee, um, the renter, um, uh, accepts uh, that the track is not um, – oh, I wish I had the exact wording. But they basically accept the track in its current condition and that it is not necessarily warranted to be ready for any particular use. And it's on the renter, the, in this case Kegwin's, to validate the, the condition uh, and safety of the track. Yeah, so it's on yeah. them. Cit cities know how to cover their ass. Yeah. 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 So the, the crux of the issue is that uh, Kegwin's um, basically didn't fully disclose the issues with the riders. In yes. this case, Daniel Kegwin. Well, and hindsight's twenty. 
20, naked Jim here. I'll jump in. But but I bet that's not the only thing. If you went across that track with a fine-tooth comb, those sandbags oh, probably sure. aren't the only thing out there. Sure. But I, I get the idea that, you know, if you if there's an area where you're going to run off, like look at the MotoGP guys. If you look at the area that they, they know people are going to crash, it's huge and it's very safe. If this is a place on the track where you know people are likely to crash and go skidding across the surface, you should probably have it prepared for that. It just sucks that they're on the hook. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it sounds like so, before anyone was found liable or not, they're, they're, we don't know if they're guilty or not guilty by a judge's standards. They just folded before that yeah. conclusion came. But what I find interesting is you're saying that you don't uh, appreciate the motorcycle community's response. Yeah. You know, I mean, the motorcycle community is like the, the greater populace, right? The, the greater populace is probably 50% morons, right? And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a whole bunch of people that, I mean, obviously this is my opinion, right? But, you know, I, I ride motorcycles and I have a bunch of tattoos and both of those are segments of the population where just because I do those things doesn't mean we're bros or brothers and sisters <laughs> or whatever. You know, if we get along, that's awesome. But I don't necessarily believe that we're all bros because we're on bikes, you know? Right. And, and honestly, to be super candid, the the way I've seen the community, you know, the, again, the so-called community attack Daniel Kim um, on this has left me so disappointed and just disturbed. It has made me want to walk away from motorcycling and the community in general, it, like really seriously contributed to some of my thoughts of shutting down City Bike completely rather than just going online mm. because it was disgusting. Wow. We've got guys in comment threads over at Revzilla, you know, talking about daniel kim's family and like threatening him there's guys on barf t- you know yesterday talking about daniel kim's not welcome in san francisco and all this kind of stuff and it's just mm, bullshit wow you know, it's macho bullshit from these guys and i have no space for that in my life and and it disgusts me so there's that part of it but i also think that you know um simon who, who owns penguins is well known uh, as a, a a benefactor in the, in the racing community and stuff like this and you know for example last year he gave up one of his organization's track days so the AFM could have a day to race because they were having a hard, day, a hard time you know, finding days to race. Um, he's done a lot for the community, um, but I think that he's been disingenuous in how he's handled this GoFundMe thing and mm. um, this whole like save track days is is inaccurate yeah um, and, and it's, it's kind of bullshit you know and i wrote an editorial piece on that it took a bunch of flack from it but i received calls from a lot of people in the industry who thought it was right on the money and that they had told him i'm talking about high up people at organizations that know better than than me or anyone else who's opining on this right that they had told him dude just settle go on do your thing and he wants to fight and so this whole save track days triple exclamation point oh my god it's all going to fall apart is bullshit and yet the community is falling for that and buying into that and then and then sort of channeling their hatred over this whole thing to daniel kim and whether or not you know him filing that lawsuit was a an honorable thing to do or not he doesn't deserve the the level of of just hatred and and sort of disdain from the community and it bothers me to be a part of a community that functions in that way yeah well i think this is a perfect example of why we need you to stay in the game because (laughs) i myself had the opinion i think many others share the same of wait he went off the track and is complaining like who the fuck is this guy who's going to take down 
our track days. That was my instinct because I didn't have all the information. But like a true journalist, you gathered all the information and you're revealing to people more more so the facts. Yeah, once you explained it, I I understand it now more that, you know, it was their kind of duty to make sure the track is safe. And um, while it sounds like there is negligence in their part, I don't don't know if I would call it gross negligence because it sounds like other people that held track days missed that as well. So it's, you know, something that's common to overlook, but that doesn't justify that it's okay. The track day provider should still you know, you know, make sure the track's And, and yeah. that's the crux of the law. You've really got to prove gross negligence. I'm, you know, I'm still kind of on the fence. I think if you sign up for a track day, you have to accept there's a certain element of risk with it. Would that mean I would ever threaten Kim or any of his family? Good Lord, no. Um, but you know I'm I'm still kind of veering to you know you're going to a track day if you're going to wad it's going to hurt and you're going to get injured because you, you're on the track you're going quick but yeah it's it, it's a very complex situation well yeah, I, agree, I agree with that I mean um, I, you know again I spent a bunch of time on the phone with various lawyers and, and reviewing the, the paperwork and all this kind of stuff and you know several people at city bike have the opinion that if you crash the track it's, it's your problem end of end of discussion that's it right yeah that's and, not realistic yeah yeah and that you know whether it what, i think the crux of the question is you know legally at least is whether it is found to be gross negligence or not and yeah. that i think is that's a pretty tricky line in this case because there were so many parties involved in all this kind of stuff there was another case i think also at laguna where someone ran off the track you know kind of very far into a beyond a runoff area and into like some sprinkler pipes or something like that and in that case they got hurt and i think that they probably and i don't know what the legal outcome of it was i wish i did but you know in that case they went so far off that i think it was outside of the realm of expectation for that area to be a safe runoff area you know mm. um but in the case of the of the sandbags being in what is i think fairly commonly agreed to be a runoff area you know and and the fact that those enhanced the the crash um in this case very significantly he's in really bad shape um you know i think i think that's the question that the courts will ultimately decide which is was that gross negligence or not right. or is it just just a bummer right you know because you know laguna saker is is an inherently it's not what you call a safe track i mean i was up there for world superbike and you know usually whenever i go to laguna Seca, i usually hang out at the corkscrew because that's where the action is and it's not far from the track to something hard whether it's a tree whether it's a barrier um you come off at the corkscrew and there's a lot coming off at the corkscrew you're going to hit something pretty quickly yeah, and again, though the the thing is, things that you can see track uh, track walls, trees, etc., are expected. It's expected that the rider is aware of those and knows that. I, you know that that again is the question of whether. Uh, let me put it a different way. Kegwins doesn't have to tell you there's a tree there because you can see there's a tree. Right. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Laguna Seca actually, like many of these older tracks, has all kinds of you know super sketchy stuff, right? But. Um, um, Laguna Seca is um, because of the the world class level racing that happens there is actually certified to a different level of safety than, um, uh, for example, I think Thunderhill is. And the difference is that um, when they're just doing track days, I don't think all of that's in effect. Okay. And I'm getting a little bit into an area where I don't have yeah, that's fine. Don't have all the facts. But. Well, I wanted yeah. Thank you for changing my opinion on that and giving me some actual facts. And also, I wanted to congratulate you on the new changes. I assume too that you're going to have a big Facebook um, 
is, is your articles are going to be on Facebook? There's going to be a presence there. Yeah, we post them up there. You know, I, I haven't put a lot of effort into like we need to grow that audience, right? To, to enhance our distribution, blah blah blah, right? But I don't want to sort of put. I'd rather it grow organically. Um, there's a part of me as kind of you know we're all these kind of like uh, like I said we're a bunch of jokers over here. There's a part of me that wants to just not be on Facebook and let people find our stuff and tell their friends about it. I know that's not realistic. It's this, very punk uh, rock of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it sounds cool, right? But it's probably it, suicide. <laughs> well, I one way we're we're gonna help get the word out, and this is a time to announce that we're partnering with a surge in the city by crew and we are we're gonna start premiering the city bike minute just like the ama minute we're giving them a minute of our time so they can share some of the topics that they're discussing things that are going on at the website um so i wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing that and um hopefully we'll get you in here some more i would love that thanks Thanks talk more about what's going on. on and i want to see some more of your photography man you're a great oh, photographer. Yeah. Where can we where, where can we see some photos? Citybike.com, man. We have we have Max, we have Angelica, we have Shell. Um, we have a bunch of people shooting really great stuff. So. Max, would that be Max Klein? That's Max Klein. Yes. Ah, he used to oh, he used oh, to work at on photography. He used to work at uh, Cycle Gear. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. I know Max. All right, cool. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's also an AFM racer, AFM board member, and uh, shoots track days. And and Serge, good luck with the surgery, honey. I I hope it goes really well for you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. I'm hoping to have it soon and be done with this. I hope your feet point in the same direction. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> left. Make sure they go left. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Serge. And yeah. I think as soon as we get off phone with you, we're going to premiere the first city bike minute woot, woot. rock and roll all right talk to you soon later bye hey hey it's editor surge with the latest reasons you should stop by citybike.com in the city bike minute first we reported on the passing of modus motorcycles that's downright depressing so we'll skip to happier news but if you haven't seen the fuller built naked modus custom our story on the death of the american v4 has a link to a pile of photos of that red white and blue beauty one of the most brutal motorcycles I've ridden. On a more positive note, Fish raced his CRF250L rally in the Run What You Brung class at the RSD Moto Beach Classic in San Francisco. A reader once lambasted us for liking Honda's 250 Dual Sports so much, calling the rally a weak weapon and horrendously underpowered. But Fish made the main, didn't crash out, and didn't finish last, competing against much faster machines. This is Fish we're talking about. His skills and questionable sanity certainly contributed to his results, but still, rally for the win. In other news, Holzfeuer, vocalist of legendary action-adventure rockers Arnocore, reviewed the Riser navigation app. Max got a first ride on Honda's new CB300R, Carrie checked out Z2 Track Day's Roadrider 2.0 course, and I broke a bunch of bones. There is, of course, a lot more, but this being the City Bike Minute means that's all I have time for. Swing by citybike.com and check it out. And there it is. Cool, cool. All right. Yeah, I'm glad to give them some time. Pretty epic music there. He's out there doing a lot of stuff, but he's doing bike reviews. He does all sorts of stuff. It's uh, just some good moto journalism to share, so check out citybike.com. And, you know, I mean, City Bike is such an institution for us who ride bikes in the whole of the greater bay area i mean it's it's been around since i've i've been fresh off the boat i love it 
I had friends who used to deliver the papers to uh, Warren Sons over there, too. Well, I know that's a lie not because you don't have any friends. This is true. <laughs> Just imaginary ones. There you go. <laughs> so let's see. We, let's cover some more news. There's so much happening. Oh, there's lots. Okay. Let's all have a moment of silence for Motus. Yes. And that's it. So, um, it's like a moment of nose breathing. No, we like Modus. Modus has been around, oh, like 12, 15, 14 years ago. Yeah, in various forms. Wait, 10 yeah, 14 years? Years? No, no, I saw them at MotoGP 10 years ago? ago. That was a while ago. Um, and they, but also they're an American company. They are. Which. We don't have a lot of American motorcycle they companies. They are getting, they're electric, getting thin but still, on the ground now, aren't Modus, they? And, but they also took pride in making some decent machines. Yeah, 10 years. So, um, and the reason I understand that they lost their backing. Right. And um, I don't know. Does anyone else have anything to say well, you about know, Motus? We had, you and me, Liza, we had quite a lively conversation about this earlier. And if you build... Basically, a $30,000-plus motorcycle. It's a tiny segment of the market. And you need backing. Mm -hmm. Now, if we take an an obvious competitor, say Arch Motorcycles. Right. Keanu Reeves has got some pretty serious backing for that from various friends and investors. Because you're selling very high-quality bikes to well-heeled customers... But it's a tiny niche market. And <clears throat> without investors, until you get it off, really get it off the ground, you're, you're dead in the water. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what their business model was like. So they were kind of semi-mass-produced bike that was not really a boutique like a like like a Keanu Reeves bike would be I guess yeah but the price like, I mean yeah. the price was boutique yeah that's yeah and that's that's where the buck stops quite literally yeah I mean you're not talking about ten thousand dollar bikes here. no you're not talking about twenty thousand dollar bikes oh, were they here. more north of twenty k oh well, yeah oh, but I mean look at Confederate slash Curtis I mean that was a very expensive bike, hundred thousand right. plus. Yeah, but the, the, so I think Modus was trying to make a performance machine, right, for the masses. When you compare other performance machines, like <laughs> right, well, that's what we were in saying a rel- yeah. in a relative way, yeah. yeah, for the masses, but the prices were boutique prices, and that's that's the issue that we're, I guess that doesn't work when you cross those. Two I mean, things, look, right? if you want to build a bike for the masses, let's take a ZX14. As an example, yeah. and a ZX14 out the door is what thirteen thousand, yeah. fourteen thousand. So there you go. There's there's your benchmark. There's your yardstick. Yeah. If you can build a bike that's as quick as a ZX14 for fourteen, fifteen grand, there you are. You're in the market. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, uh, like Ducati, right? They make mass-produced, really fast bikes. Yes. But then there's the RR whatever super top model, right? The super Legera, where you pay like thirty north thirty grand, sure, or the Desmo Sedici, and they have that market. Right. But if you want to dip your foot into Ducati, they, they they do some reasonably priced models. Right. Yeah. They've got the a lineup essentially. The super sport. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the That's super a sports a little bit north of, of right. Japanese sport bike standards, but it's close enough. Yeah. That you can you can dip your toe into it, and I don't think Motus had anything like that. Yeah. 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 They didn't have what you call a bread and butter model. You can have some flagship models, but you know, like take Kawasaki. I think 
more than half the bikes they ever sold were the Kawasaki Ninja 250. Yeah. Right. You know, so, um, you know, and they just didn't, I guess, Modus didn't have well, that. Well, Kawasaki are a perfect example because what they'll do is they'll get a formula they like and they'll just produce it forever. And Liza owns actually two of them. Mm-hmm. A perfect example is the KLR 650. Which, give or take, is unchanged for over 30 years. I know there's Gen 1 and Gen 2, but it's pretty much an unchanged bike. Yeah. And then the Concourse was unchanged from the 80s right up... Wait, I can't remember when the Gen 2 came out. Yeah, 506? No, 07, 08, something like that. Something like that, yeah, but it was a long run. It was a hell of a long run with a completely unchanged bike. A thousand motors have been around forever. Right, exactly. So... You know, that's a perfect example. That's getting your money. Yeah. And that enables you to do one or two really extravagant boutique models like the H2R with self-healing paint. Yeah. And we still don't know how much that thing's <laughs> that that thing's going to be, but you know it's going to be. I, I guess I guess part of the uh, I don't know if it's a I don't know if you could say it's a novelty. Part of the git of this motorcycle, the motor is like it's 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 American made V four. Yeah, it's a, where it's a big burly boy. Yeah. It's a big big burly powerful motorcycle We're looking I mean, to, it, yeah 1600cc plus mm, displacement 165 horses 123 foot pounds of torque you know it's I mean push rods yeah I mean, well it's it's to my knowledge it's basically half a small block Chevy isn't it yeah yeah I guess give or yeah. take I mean you know is this, is this going to be like Buell all over again yeah. you know where there's a great product but they're trying to find somebody to bankroll it it sounds like arch meets buell that's exactly what it sounds <laughs> yeah. like. this sounds like the problem that like C- curtis and, and even lightning and energica and those companies are having is they don't have a real base high volume model they're just depending on these upper ends and there's only so many people out there that can afford right. these bikes and you know they have all these bikes to choose from there's just not the market for these high well, it's the, new, like, the new indian did really well maybe because of polaris but well yeah. yeah but the new indian is a perfect example the scout is a reasonably priced That's bike. Mm-hmm. It's a great price bike. You know, if you want an American-made V-twin, I mean, it's like... And the exposure from flat track. Right, exactly. You, you think that their ultimate downfall of this company was the fact that there's some kind of insane nostalgia about pushrod motors being in an American 90-degree v Four type situation or something like well v4 means nothing to america right i think the downfall is due to somebody who has a desk job that with an adding machine and they just said you know maybe we'll go invest in soybeans i don't know what cc was that thing uh 1600 something that's interesting yeah yeah. 1650 i mean like where is that compared to well, yeah, where is that in the scale of? Is that really a really good pipe, uh, output for motor? You know what? They, they, were, they were doing it. They were doing it. Yeah, and it was an American American company doing it. I think we can all agree. We hope that they find a way to come back. I mean, yeah. they will. Just I mean, like it's, Buell. Oh, it's, it's a yeah. fundament. It's a it's a fundamentally good product. <coughs> I mean, the o- sure. really the only criticism you can level at them is that things were too bloody expensive for yeah. mortals like me and you to buy. But the product is great, so hopefully they'll figure out a way to actually put these things out on the line again. And here's the thing. It's really hard for us to know how these decisions are made and what happens in corporate business dealings, especially when there's financial backing going on. Hookers and blow. It all went and to hookers and blow. <laughs> I think another perfect example of this is another thing that happened this week. Ah, Alta and Harley. 
Alta and Harley. Cool. So we know that Blimey. a few months ago that Harley announced that they were uh, working with Alta to design the new electric motorcycle line. And um, there was some agreement in there that I know Alta was ultimately, I think, like, was going to make two bikes for them and then Alta I think was going to get the third bike for themselves yeah. I think sharing the resources and maybe the tooling and stuff like that um, so they were both going to benefit from it and so when Harley announced that they pulled out of the deal I hope Alta used protection okay. <laughs> it's a bit suspicious what's going on and uh, there's some theories floating around and these right. are just theories because we don't have any facts but um corporate business is a cutthroat business and when you have a larger company that has more lawyers than the smaller company they can do whatever they want Mm. and better lawyers well more expensive lawyers same thing (laughs) and i'm just going to say one of the theories that's going out and we can comment on it because we know that there's some precedents in corporate dealings yes. to this. One of the theories is that they just used Alta to get access to information hmm. and to sources and stuff like that. Alta has said they have the best battery tech. They say it's better than Tesla, better than zero. And we know that this is a huge part of the electric vehicle um you know the race it's like the race to the moon it's it's the race for the best batteries yeah and well, they they've invested a lot in that and the first time we learned about this was we went down to the straight rhythm races mm-hmm. in pomona what me and you a couple of years ago yes and checked in with the uh alta so, crew and they kind of brought us up to speed i'm curious to know if the department of defense has ever come to alta and go hey you guys got the best battery well see that's no. you know, that's like, that's where i think you know alta what it feels it's worth versus what harley thinks Alta's worth. That's where they're differentiating. Because if you look at Alta's battery pack, I think it's a 5.8 kilowatt hour pack, and I think it weighs like 62 uh, pounds or something like that. Hmm. And um, Terry's looking around the room I know. for us to He's back him at up. Me like, like, I know. What? Well, I remember what? when it first came out, Zero was already working on their new battery system. They hadn't released it yet, and Alta's battery pack was actually better. It had like a you know two percent more kilowatt hours and hmm. like two pounds less. But like with the batteries that just came out for zero this year they already got they already got better in 2016 so they beat the alta then and then in 2018 so alta saying they're the best everybody can kind of say they're the best in a way and i think if alta felt that and they were negotiating with harley on what their next step was going to be i think maybe they asked for a little bit more because you know when it's your stuff you think your stuff is good and harley's like you know We've worked with Mission before. We used Mission's electric powertrain. So we don't need Alta as much as Alta thinks we need. Them. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So the live wire that yeah. they're showing, and I know that they have it on display up at the. Uh, it's Harley's 115th anniversary right now. Right. And they have the live wire on display. What information they will not give you is price, range, and release date. Pretty much everything. But they'll say, isn't it pretty? That's right. So, so it's, they partnered with Mission Motors to design the live wire. Mm-hmm. Where's Mission Motors now? They're gone. They, well, they changed names like three times. They were Mission Motorcycles, Mission Motors, this, that, or whatever. And, uh, but you know, that was no small endeavor. They built 40 
these weren't like R&D bikes. These were 40 production quality Harleys. This was a huge, huge effort. I mean, I know the stuff that Zero goes through, and this was no small deal by any means. Hey, Terry, have I you ever ridden one? No, I've never ridden a Harley Livewire, but I do know lots of people that have. I'm just I think it's yeah. a good-looking bike, by yes. the way. Well, no, I wonder is. if it's just like a marketing exercise to boost their you know, shares. Because to let people know, hey, we're Harley. Yes, we make old bikes, but we... No technology, it, too. It's like when Rip We're Curl... still rev- relevant, you know? I was going to say, so. it's like when Rip Curl gets a storefront in downtown Santa Cruz. Yeah. They don't yeah. sell shit, but they can say we have a store in downtown Santa right. Cruz. But I right. saw... But it, that's important for shareholders. Yeah, right. that's true. Go, you know, I, having a presence. Yeah. I saw a picture of the Livewire, I think, last week, and I guess it's the new one. It's like a metal flake orange with a little bikini fairing on it, and it's mm. like, mm-hmm. damn, that's a good-looking bike. Yeah. It is a good-looking machine. Oh, it is. Mm. It is. By far one of the nicest-looking the, electric bikes I've seen the thus trouble, far. The trouble they're going to have, and I think the reason that they're not announcing any specs, Liza, is because if you look at all the other electric motorcycles that are coming out they're all realizing that customers want more and more range so they're trying to figure out how to squeeze as much battery into that front section as possible and unfortunately with the design of the live wire as it is now the entire bottom half of the front area that would normally be a battery is this giant aluminum uh you know cnc machined motor casing and so the motor (laughs) takes up half the space of the battery that like would be in a zero or something else so the problem is if they release range numbers and say oh we're up to 55 miles range where the original live wire in 2014 may have had a 40 mile range people are going to balk at that although for lots of people that go for their sunday ride around santa cruz 55 miles would be fine for the for the heart currently early but you know we i know we've talked about this many many times before terry i mean but we're still in the basically ride an hour charge an hour yeah, 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 and we we need to get beyond the. Actually, ru- it's, it's not even ride an hour charge an hour yet. It's still more like ride an hour charge four hours yeah. for, for most bikes. Or we've got to move beyond that. If yeah. if if electric bikes are really gonna get, yep. oh, trust anywhere, me. We, we we've got to move beyond I, that. I'm pushing for faster charge, and I want it to get down to eventually like ten to twelve minutes to charge. That's so yeah. let's go back to some precedents. Um, Emma, you've heard of a precedent like this before? Yeah, and I mean, I use. There's a couple I'm gonna use. Um, um, and unfortunately, I wish I could find a um, a motorcycle equivalent, but it's it's very easy to talk about cars. And many many years ago, in the 1960s, there was a there was a small but very prestigious um, English manufacturer called Jensen. Is that the same as yeah. Jensen Healy? It is, but yes. the Jensen Healy was one of their smaller products. They did this big burly thing called the Interceptor, which had a great big bloody V8 engine in it. I like that how well used that name is. Yeah, it's a good name. It's yeah. a great it's name. A good and name. let me tell you, you know, the kind of blokes that drove Jensen Interceptors had sort of open shirts with lots of. Chest hair and medallions <laughs> and like handlebar moustache and this is and not are they date rapists yeah kind of you get the idea and this, really? is, not, and this um, is not the same interceptor from uh, mad max right no no very different interceptor <laughs> so um no the contract went out um jensen put the contract out with three italian manufacturers to design this car because all the best looking cars are Italian we know that and the design they chose was unfortunately from a manufacturer that was so small and broke there's no way they could afford to make the bodies so what Jensen did is they chose that design but they didn't want to upset one of the other manufacturers who could actually manufacture the body so they just scratched off 
touring of Milan and put their own name on it and said, oh, this is our design, can you make this for us? Mm. And so that's basically what happened. So it's not unprecedented. But the second one involving corporate takeovers is Ford with Jaguar and GM with Saab. Mm -hmm. And the one is an example how to do it right, and the other one's an example of how to do it wrong. When Ford bought out Jaguar, they said, look, we're going to show you how to make cars more efficiently. I mean, Ford paid a ton of money for Jag, way much more than they should, because it's a very prestigious brand. But basically, they did it right. They said, look, we're going to show you how to make cars more efficiently, but we're not going to interfere. Um, they did a couple of joint ventures, which the X-Type, which is a truly woesome car. Um, mm. But the big sedans and the coupes, which are Jag's trademark, they left them alone. They just said, look, you do what you do best, make these big cars, but we're going to show you how to use them more efficiently. But run yourselves, because you make very good cars. That was Ford and Jaguar. GM took over Saab and said, now you guys are going to do things our way. And so Saab, who were this quirky little Swedish car manufacturer who used to doing things their own way, weren't allowed to do things their own way anymore. They had to do things GM's way, and it didn't work out. So right now, as of 2018, Jag, who are no longer owned by Ford, are still very, very healthy. Saab, who are they? You know, they sob story. Yeah, it's a sob story. <laughs> GM closed them down many, many years ago because they just couldn't get them to work out. So you know, corporate takeovers and buyouts don't always work well. So well, that's the same oh, yeah. with with Husqvarna and KTM, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Perfect example. Yeah. So here's the question: Is was this their motivation all along, just to gather information? Um, and if so, isn't that kind of seedy? Yeah, so I, if you're saying that Harley had that intent with all the, I don't think so. I think they really went in with the idea that they're going to have a partnership. However, when terms come to not necessarily agree, I think it gives Harley a little bit more bargaining leverage, knowing that if if the two companies disappear, what does Alta gain from having worked with Harley, you know, yeah. versus what does Harley gain from having worked with Alta? Alta or Harley now knows how Alta's powertrain works. They they knew how missions right. worked, and so they can develop their own. If Alta backs out of this deal, what do they get to know how to do, how to mass manufacture a Harley? Right. You know? So the thing is, what it does, it gives more negotiating power to Harley, which is already the powerhouse negotiator. They're already big. So it made it so that Alta was probably going to have to accept less than favorable terms to remain. You know. Have we heard of allegations of stealing tech yet, or is it? Do we just assume that this? We don't know. But here's the thing: I, I don't want to assume it, that they are. I mean, I mean maybe not have. Like I said, yeah. I don't think that was the intent at all. Yeah, but, I don't think so either. Yeah, and it's it's very easy to jump on the old good guy, bad guy thing. But the, the, I'm sure that they went into this agreement with the best of intentions. Yeah. But sooner or later, suits take over. And as soon as lawyers get involved with anything and they start nickel and diming down, um, I think, Terry, you've got the closest that I'm sure Alta thought they were worth this much and Harley thought, nah, you guys are worth this much. Hey, Alta might have dodged a bullet, too, because who knows whether or not the Harley the Harley live wire is going to be accepted. Oh, I, th- I think that's true. I, th- I think it, I think it will. I mean, I know that Zero's biggest hits their website ever were the day in 2014 that the you know live wire was announced. It was just amazing amount of people searched for it, and then they ended up searching Zero at the same time. But I guess is when Harley and Alta first 
uh, agreed on this stuff. I think they thought the market was increasing like electric vehicles because of the Tesla Model 3 announcement a few years ago and everything else. I think people thought that the electric sales were going to go up higher than they have. And they're going up, but I don't think they're going up at the right. same rate. So Harley was renegotiating saying, okay, instead of us selling this many, maybe we're only going to sell this many. And if we're only going to sell this many, we can't afford to, to put well, this bet, much into right. it. I bet Eric Buell wished that would have happened to him. Right. Back, you know, because mm. ultimately it was a cultural you know, organizational oh, sure. culture thing, too. Yeah. I mean, if, if Buell got kicked out early on, they probably might be still riding But, them. you know, I've said this before on the podcast, and I'll say it again. If the live wire is priced within a range that I think is acceptable, I will throw my money down and buy one. And there's no question of that. Hmm? But, it's you know, it's got to be something I can actually afford and justifiably afford. Liza, the noises Wait, I think Bosley's having door. an orgasm. Bosley is, <laughs> is climaxing as we speak. Somebody's diddling Bosley. The noise know, coming out of that door. What are you doing? Biblical. I'm just watching to see if he passes out. Did then you? it's bad. Um, <laughs> no, he's fine. But, no, if, if, the, if the live wire, and I haven't even determined what a decent price for me is. But if it's something that I think is acceptable for me, and that might only be like 10,000 bucks, I don't know, but I will buy one. I will actually throw my money down and buy a LifeWire because it's a, it's a freaking electric Harley. That's why. It is cool. and It's cool looking. You know, the, the interesting thing to me, even though this relationship didn't work out, uh, what I think is cool and I think keeps Alta viable is they don't compete in the market. If you look where Alta's competing, it's motocross, it's flat track stuff, it's, you know, around the street. Harley's still promoting that lifestyle. Is he about to come? No, Knock, what are you doing over there? What are you doing to Bosley, Knock? It's like he's got a hairball or something. He has a collapsed trachea. He cannot breathe. Aww. Aww. He's oh, reinflating tough. it. He'll be fine. Okay. So okay. with that said, I, I think that... Um, <laughs> I know, it's hard to talk seriously with a dying dog in front of I know, of I'm ready to give him, give him, give him a couple no, of No, he, look, he looks too good to be dying. You were saying? I was just saying, at least, it, you know, they don't compete, so I think Alta can still be viable as far as a motorcycle company because they have a different market. It's just, you know, who and who knows what came out of it. You know, we're talking out of class because we weren't in the meetings and blah, 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 but here's, Alta's not going anywhere. Here's what, yeah, here's what, we, we're not... We don't know what the hit to Alta is. I think the hit is Alta was going to use the connection with Harley. I think maybe sharing the resources, the factory, the mass production, capital to make the, new bikes. The biggest thing is the dealers. That's the and, biggest and the capital. Yeah. So yeah. they've already had a lot of steam. I think this was going to be a big jump uh, for them. So it's not there. Here's a, here's the way I feel though. I think that um, you know if they. I think it's kind of a shitty move on the part of Harley, but I think it's the kind of cutthroat shitty move you have to do to survive. And I'm thinking that maybe this is showing that they are going to be survivors. I've been on watch CNBC a lot, business stuff, and Harley's been on there every three to six months on there constantly like going back six years talking about how sales are lower than expected before and they're so they've been facing a, a decreasing sales problem of their own for a while you know decreased revenue coming in so you know you have to you have to make cuts and decisions on stuff you can't do every program you want to but you know my my thing is once probably about the 20 14 and 2015 zeros are used on the market at a decent price and because that's about the only electric motorcycle that we'll have available for use that people will be able to buy inexpensively to try out not everybody wants to spend sixteen thousand dollars on something that they've never really used 
full time before. So, but until until there's a used market and everybody can try and say, "Wow, you know what? This is actually a hell of a lot better than what I'm riding now." I'm going to actually go spend my full money and go buy a new one because I love it that much. Until that happens, we're not really going to get mass adoption of electric motorcycles yet. Is what I Here's think. Here's something. I wonder if it has anything to do with last month's uh, recall of Alter Redshift motorcycles. Not all of them. What? There was a recall. I didn't hear about that. Yes. Programming issues. Yeah, it was a flaw in the throttle firmware. Is that the flux capacitor? Pretty much, thing. yeah. That's well, you know that that might that might have been uh, <laughs> that might have been a talking point saying, "Listen, you know, you've been saying how your product is superior and perfect and flawless, or whatever." It obviously may not be. So that is probably one thing that went into the decision. For well, sure. let yeah. me tell you something right now. I'm sure Gage McAllister wasn't having any trouble with his throttle <laughs> yeah, firmware. That's right. Dang, that young man is quick. <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll get more information about what happened. I mean, Alta is a, you know, is a top company in in the game and they this was a big move for them. So I'm sorry it didn't work out. I was looking forward to see them make this move cuz they're they're doing things really smart. A lot of people may not have heard of an Alta or even seen an Alta, but they're making good product and they're making good moves and they've got some major players backing them. They really do. So that is the latest news, and I guess we'll see what's going on with Harley and the electric. Hey, uh, maybe we should get Mark back on the show. What do you think? So although they said they didn't have a time announcement, it it did slip in there sort of, uh, I think they had some girl, Deanna Dahlgren, saying it, and they did say it will be out next year. So there's not a definite timeline stamp. But we'll see it in 2019. I'm, I'm pretty positive. Well, I think it's time now to get a ride report because somebody here has been doing some riding. A little bit. Bagel, yes. where did you go this time? I decided to go to Colorado for the weekend. How many miles is that from here? Oh, she's 13, 1,400 miles, something like that. <laughs> for the weekend. Yeah, for the not? weekend. Let's do it. Two days out, two days uh-huh. there, two days back. Awesome. And you took which bike? I took my Cannonball Vespa GTS 250. Okay, hold on. Once again. Hold on. This is where it gets good. What event were you riding to? I was riding to the Odd Not Mod Scooter Rally, the inaugural (coughs) rally, which is a a rally for vintage scooters that are not Lambretta or Vespa. Okay, let's recap again. What (laughs) bike did you ride there? My Vespa GTS 250. brought that full circle. (laughs) Yes. All right. Because originally I had planned to drive my truck out there with my 1965 Heinkel Tourist and 57 Heinkel Perla Moped to show those off, but I simply did not have the time and wherewithal to get my truck ready for that long of a trip. But a scooter you could hop on. But I could totally hop on the scooter and do it. (laughs) But when you go out there to Colorado, you're going to be on I-80, and I mean, I know you got a kick I think you got a 250 motor in there. I can't believe you never have any overheating issues going that fast in the middle of summer. I wouldn't have had overheating issues if my water pump was in good shape. <laughs> but I did have overheating issues on the trip, uh-huh. once again, uh, because I, I did have uh, problems with the same you know, same issue on my uh, my cross-country tour. We need to get you an electric powertrain in that thing. Well, yeah, ultimately, that's what I want to do, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and get rid of all that uh, you know cooling and valves and bullshit. But I like <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, but it's... Uh, just so many points of failure though <laughs> i'm so, tired of failures how many miles a day were you doing uh i did on the the right out there and back it was about 650 675 miles a day 
Um, so That's legit. They were long days. Yeah. And did the yeah. weld hold up on your rack? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. The welds held up. Um, nothing. Nothing else broke other than the water pump. Um, I took Highway 50 going out there. Uh, first time I'd ridden it the whole uh, way out to great, Colorado. Great road. Great yeah. Road. Know yeah. it. Know it well. Yeah. It was. It was very cool. Uh, although I definitely do not recommend riding Highway 50 through Nevada at night like I did. Oh. Um, did you run, a, run into a coyote? Uh, no, but I did run run over a rabbit. Oh. Um, luckily, the rabbit did not take me out. Um, it happened to did, a friend of mine. Did you almost miss it by hair? Uh, no. Oh. Hey. <laughs> I almost missed it by hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, that, that particular rabbit did not choose well. Um, there was also an elk standing right by the side of the road oh, at one point towards the nasty end of the ride. business uh i that that made me wake up uh real quick let me um, tell you interstate 80 isn't any better necessarily yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and and I've, I've done both um but 50 is is particularly desolate and dark um and you you really don't know what's you know what's coming up and it got pretty cold at night too so now where did you pick up 50 what was the most westerly point you picked sacramento it up? off of you highway picked 80 it, yep yep right I've driven that road so many times. Yep, and uh, you know, and it was it was a beautiful beautiful ride. Uh, you know, aside from the part at night, uh, this the second day out there going through Utah on Highway 50 was absolutely spectacular. Uh, so much great scenery uh, going right by Arches National N- National Park. Now, there. if I remember right, that's a pretty tough climb going out of Placerville, and it's mm. it's it's a reasonable grade. It's a bit of a climb, yeah. Yeah, but you did okay going up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as uh, as as a climb on on I seventy though. Coming, yeah. Coming uh, coming <clears throat> west. Emma, you're talking about like going into Lake Tahoe. Yeah, the yeah. kind of yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going up and down a bit. And you've got to remember that Bagel is riding a scooter, yes. so it has no power. Yeah, especially once I get up in the altitudes. <laughs> no it, it, power. It definitely loses some power once it's above 6,000 feet. It gets a bit asthmatic. Yeah, it's a little wheezy. <laughs> so how many weird scooters were there at this event? Uh, it was it was a fairly small event. Um, there were probably uh, less than a dozen scooters that showed up in all. Uh, but there was a nice variety. Uh, there were a couple of Hankels that showed up. Um, our, our friend Mike uh, McWilliams, who hosts the event, uh, he's he's a very big Heinkel fan and has put on a couple of Heinkel scooter rallies out there too. For people who want to look it up, how do you spell Heinkel? It's spelled H-E-I-N-K-E-L. Not to be confused with the knives that have a very similar name or the beer that has a very similar name. <laughs> Henkels and Heineken? And, and Henkels, yes. <laughs> so uh, so there, there were a couple Henkels. Did, did the other 12 people that show up also drive a thousand miles on their scooter to get there? No. Nobody else did. <laughs> That's what kind of hardcore yeah. scooter this yeah. guy is. Exactly. Now, uh, but we had we had a couple freak, of uh, Zundat Bellas. Uh, Zundat Bella R204s, which are some very beautiful bikes. Uh, there was also yeah. a Durkop Dyke. Diana that showed up and uh, and a couple of uh, old Vespas and Lambrettas too. You know, I've never asked you this, Bagel. What is your opinion of the Heinkel bubble car? I think it's a great little car. Um, you just don't want to drive it on a sunny day because it'll roast you like a Yeah, it's oven. like a little little greenhouse. Yeah. I thought you were about to say you just don't want people seeing you ride it around. Well, no, I, oh, no, totally. I don't oh, know whether you've ever seen one of these. Not a bubble my, car? Yeah, my yeah. mom actually had one. And it, the, it opens like a refrigerator at the front. <laughs> yes. And the whole oh, I know fr- what you're the, the whole front door yeah, comes yeah. open and the yep. steering column kind of flops yep. out with the door. It's yep. absolutely seen that. Yep. death yep. trap. 
yeah, things are, those things are cool. They, they are a crimple zone, the yes. entire car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to get in an accident in one. Uh, but they're but they're absolutely adorable, you know, cute little cars powered by a 175 or 200cc scooter motor in the back. And, uh, and it, it looks like an escape pod from like a I spaceship. Think they have, don't they have one at Moto Talbot? Uh, they have a couple of Isetas down there, oh, which are very similar to the Heinkels. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. In Sitting fact, out back. In fact, uh-huh. speaking of corporate uh, shenanigans, Heinkel got sued by BMW because their design was so similar ah, to BMW's. And wow. Specifically, it was that, that steering column uh, that was... That, that was, flopped out. Uh, that flopped out. BMW had that on their Isetas, and Heinkel tried to do something similar, but BMW said, no, that's our design. You can't use that. And they had to have a fixed column in the Heinkel cabinas. Uh, where no was... floppy column for you. Yep. <laughs> so what, what did you do about your water pump? Did you just do it on the side of the road in oh, the middle no. of desert in yeah. the middle oh, no, of the night? No. Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay. It's better than that. So, so the water pump. Um, I'd, I'd had some issues with the water pump on my cross-country trip where the, you know, the bike was overheating. But it, you know, it wasn't too bad. You know, it still kept some circulation going. So unless it got really, really hot out, um, it, I didn't have problems with, with, with it overheating. He just kept blowing on the motor. Yeah, <laughs> so, on on the trip back on the second day, uh, he weed in the airbox. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that would have helped. But uh, I actually I stopped in Wendover, Utah, on the day uh, the on the ride back. Didn't you stop there once before? Uh, I did. And on I our thought, last cross country trip. On my last cross country. <laughs> and yes. and but, who, whom, whom did you call in Wendover, Utah? Uh, I called you. In yes, Wendover. darling. Yes. Uh, I dropped everything. Yes, uh, because I well, first of all, I was I was stopping there because the Bonneville motorcycle speed trials were going on. That's right, and uh, right, and I have to give a shout out to my friend uh, Jalen Billig, who set a yeah. record in her 175 class uh, with a uh, a run that was over 80 miles an hour. And do you know what? I am going to attempt to oil myself into her team next you year. You should. You absolutely should. Yeah. So yeah. there you are. You heard so, it here first. Yep. So so after I and I went out on the salt that morning just to go check it out and see the there wasn't much of a sunrise because it was really hazy because of all the smoke from the wildfires. But but it was really cool to be out there on the salt and there were some very very cool bikes out the, there. And there are some ride. very salty characters. Oh, they're all salty characters. Oh yes, <laughs> it was great. Uh, but I left Wendover that morning to uh, make my my final stretch to come back home um, and had overheating problems along the way. Um, and this was getting worse than what I'd had before. Uh, it got to the point where, um, once again, the, the coolant, coolant tank had, had split and developed a leak and was spewing coolant out over my floorboards. So, um, man, so I, you know, this is not good. You know, losing coolant is a bad thing, especially when you're out in the middle of the Nevada desert. Generally. Oh, so you pissed in the coolant reservoir. Uh, well, I could (laughs) have, but, but I decided to call Emma first to get, uh, get some advice. And and I was, I was, she told you to do. I was worried he was going to drink. Well, no. And I, you know, the telephone went, I was in the bath. I was taking my bath (laughs) and playing with my battleships. (laughs) Oh, is that what you call it? No, I was. I was I was playing with my battleships and I had my little captain's hat on and I was re uh-huh. I was redoing the Battle of Jutland. Can we all just England, take a moment to visualize <laughs> where England where England won and so the so H M S H M S Ajax was being threatened by a giant rubber ducky and the phone went and it was Bugel. <laughs> yes. 
And and, I and asked, there were blu- there was blubbering and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> so I did ask for some advice. Yes, and uh, I gave you none. Oh yes, you did. Yeah, you gave I me know. plenty of advice. Always, um, Bagel. I so, love you. Yes. So so the idea was was first that that it was just a, a, a leak in the coolant tank, and to pinch off the feed line from the the coolant tank into the main cooling system. Temporary said, fix. You said pinch it off. I was like, whoa. Yes. <laughs> pinch off a loaf. <laughs> not, not that kind of pinch. <laughs> to clamp the line. <laughs> so uh, so that way it wouldn't suck air into the cooling system. So I did that, and it was fine for a while. Uh, stopped for lunch. <laughs> and they're and, always fine for a while. Yeah. <laughs> stopped for lunch, and then um, kept going. But after I started going again, that's when it started to get bad. Um, and it started uh, blowing over again. Uh, and I found out that the, the, the cooling system was very, very low at that point. Mm. Um, and so basically what was happening was... Uh, the 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 cooling system was not circulating because of the water pump and the coolant was boiling off from the heat in the cylinder and it was recondensing in the cooling lines into the coolant tank did this happen on your last trip yes okay and i was going to fix it but i didn't have time (laughs) i was going to finish it it. it. famous last word so um yeah so i took a bike that i knew wasn't probably entirely roadworthy but i did it anyway so uh so the cooling problem inevitably got worse um I called Emma again. Uh, so the idea then at that point was take the clamp off of the cooling line, uh, refill the system, and try to to limp it through without boiling it over too much. And that's basically what I did. What I did the rest of the way home, and uh, kept kept two liters of water on hand in case I needed a refill, and I did frequently. Uh, but I made it. So it sounds like you had the same riding style as Terry does. You have to kind of, kind of. live along and keep stopping. <laughs> yeah. Stop. And then Recharge. you live along again and then you stop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, except that mine was uh, steam powered. Well, <laughs> can, I, can I share, and this, this really gets me angry, the current vogue for water pumps is... The manufacturers will take yes. a brass or an aluminum or a steel shaft and press this shit piece of plastic on the end of it, mm-hmm. usually with splines. And oh, for the impeller, or for the yes, yeah. no, oh, for the, the impeller. bloody impeller. Yep. And of course, the yeah. thing, the oh, thing either spins or falls off. It makes me so mad. Yep. <laughs> and Volkswagen's new Beetles are the devils for it because they get to about 50,000 miles and the fucking impeller falls off mm-hmm. and then it falls into the yeah. cooling system and then you're done and yep. the, the engine's ruined because it blows is, its head is gasket. Is that an engineering thing or is it a cost? Oh, like, I don't a, know. That's like a point that's of failure. But I mean, every, plastic, everybody's doing aluminium impellers for these yeah. things that aluminium impellers and I'm sure there's an aluminium impeller for your Vespa. I'll have to check, yeah. But no, plastic impellers, they get, they get me so angry. Yeah. I know. Next time I want to piss you off, I'm just going to look you in the eye and say, Plastic impeller. Don't get me started. There's <gasps> 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 fighting words. I don't, I don't like them plastic paddles. Anything that is plastic that is involved with a cooling system, just yeah. why? Just make why? Sense. Because there's glycol in the cooling system, the coolant anyway, which is a little bit nasty towards plastic. It's getting hot, it's getting cold, it's cycling. Of course, these things go brittle. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the old days, you know, there's some good in the old days, some bad, but a radiator was made out of aluminium, brass, it was all soldered together. It's a wonderful thing. Now, radiators are aluminum with these plastic tanks on either end of them, and they're just cramped on. That's okay. 
But the flanges that hold the hoses on, there's a little flange that's cast into the plastic, and they break off, and mm-hmm. so the hose just comes straight off. Yeah. It's an absolute outrage, I tell you. It's an outrage. Yep. But long story short, I made it home. Well, well done. And uh, the bike made it home as well. Uh, it was it's very late night once again, but... Uh, yeah, you actually texted me when you got home, and I looked at my clock and it was like i saw on facebook two, you posted like 45 yeah, three or four o'clock yeah, in the morning. Like two in the morning and did, didn't the you get up to go to work at some ungodly yeah, hour as well yeah, i had to be up early in the morning to God, that's, that's some hardcore scooter shit there man yeah. <laughs> think, think if they had just lots of emails to like catch up on that day so yeah no bagel is is you're pretty hardcore on that thing yeah yeah oh and and also while i was out there i rode it up to the top of pike's peak whoa <laughs> yeah. what Yep. What? What was your t- yeah. What was your time? You buried the uh, lead. Yeah. A month. I, I, I wasn't taking. Uh, I wasn't counting time, but it was probably hmm, maybe close to an hour. <laughs> okay, considering. <laughs> although, although I was, I, I was getting pissed off at the pickup trucks that were doing like twenty miles an hour in front of me. <laughs> I want to see what Michelle DeSalvo could do with a Vespa scooter mm-hmm. on Pikes yeah. Peak. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that'd be something. So, wouldn't it? Um, uh, Jim and I went for a little ride yesterday. Oh yeah, where'd you go? We went to Hollister Hills. <coughs> Again? Yes. You be liking that place, don't no, you? No. I haven't been back since it threw me in a pond. Mm. Since the moment. Since, since the, the moment. Incident, <laughs> the muddy, incident. The muddy incident. Which I now realize the we went past that incident. spot. There is no pond. It was just a large puddle, <laughs> basically, is what you, it was. You found it. <laughs> no, um, I took the KLR out to test it out in the dirt. Oh, you're a bright And woman. this thing has Same not person. seen dirt. Remember that, like, chain yep. and sprocket were pristine. And uh, not so, anymore. Yeah. So now it's broken. No, yeah, the yeah. first the first scrape we put on it was loaded in the trailer. Yeah, yeah the dirt bikes. Yeah. <laughs> now Perfect. It's a dirt bike. <laughs> now it's Perfect. a dirt bike. So I took the DRZ 400 and the KLR, and I started out on the KLR. And at first, I was just going really slow and easy, and it was learning the bike and the position. What trails? Just like some easy trails, or well, see, here's the thing. I know they have names, but we call them like. Jake's Trail and Nutshot Junction. Right. We have <laughs> our own names. Right, just easy trails, right? Not like crazy. Yeah, fucking... the, the normal trails that yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. So, um, how did you cope with Liza's puddle? <laughs> well, it wasn't there. There it was, was no mud. It was very dry. Mm. If anything, there were patches of kind of silt and sand now. Okay. You, you didn't um, try it out on the TT track first just to did, get an idea? I did take it on the oh, TT track. Oh, nice. Well, we, um, did, we did start, though, like just on the on the roads to go through the park. Sure. You yeah, know? yeah, okay. I was getting used to because... Because later this month, we're going to go do a little adventure ride through Yosemite. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try it out, see how it do, see how it feels. So at first, it was just figuring out like the gear. And I learned if you're in like second or third and there's any hill whatsoever, or if you're slowing down to go through like whoopsies and, and you're in second, it's going, <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, it wants to be in first gear. So I was like chugging through stuff. Um, but I started figuring it out. I started getting a little bit better. And then um, I decided to trade it in and ride the DRZ for a little bit. And I didn't like it at all. Hmm. I did not like the DRZ 400. And, um, you know, one of the things is with dirt biking, the policy is <clears throat> give it the beans and hope for the best. Yep. Right? Look, look and throttle. Yeah, look up and give it gas. And I realized with uh, you know the KLR, which is a mid-sized adventure bike, it's not as big as a, a you know like a GS twelve hundred or a Tiger, but it's still it's it's heavier than a dirt bike, and it's a completely different style of riding. And yeah. I found that putting it in a first gear and 
chugging along and and taking your time and picking your path instead of just throttling and attacking those those potholes and bumps you take your time and you squirrel around them and you're you know, more methodical it's almost like it's like chess versus checkers dirt biking is checkers <laughs> I, I said it's like more, more like chess like and not chess. boxing yeah. do, you, do you know what do you know what's happening liza what you're getting old yeah i know so, <laughs> so uh, um, but but I didn't like the DRZ. I didn't like the the riding position. I didn't like it. it felt squirrelier. And I said, I want to go back and get the KLR. Okay, so well, the weight wasn't an issue, but so I guess the power delivery was what you liked about the KLR. It was a nice big torquey like tractor. No, it's versus... not well in first gear. Yeah, chug a lug. Yeah. Well, okay. you know that that DRZ four hundred is a peppy dirt bike. You know, yeah. and it's tall. When you hop on it, you're like, okay, I got to pay attention to what I'm doing. And uh, I jumped mm-hmm. on the KLR, and it was very—it was a grounding experience. You feel much more grounded on the KLR. Yeah, you take your time, you pick your path. Um, um, I did a trail that I love doing, and that I can do kind of fast on the DRZ, and I found it—I was quite comfortable, and I kind of tested it, and I took off, and I got out of first gear, and was using you know second gear. I'd still slow down for those turns but um the bike sucked it up it sucked up a lot of the bumps and that's why i wanted a 21 21 inch front wheel that's one thing i was curious about because you know how they got a lot of the jumps kind of like even on the easy trails they got some jumps you can hit you know you get up speed and you can go pretty good but at this time of year on the other side of them a lot of times are craters like squared Mm. off hole in the ground that Mm -hmm. was mud five months ago yeah now it's just this cratery thing on the other side of the jump and you said that that thing sucked it up pretty good yeah i think where you get in trouble with a big bike like this is like going up uh some of the hills like at hollister some of the paths that we take will have a sharp turn up a hill like a switchback and with the light bike you can put your foot down and pivot and gun it and make it around these turns and get it up the hill i think with a heavier bike you really have to be on point and have it balanced just right because if you're off off balance at all you're screwed well you know what throws you off of that bike too is just the plastics on it like when you look at it it's got these plastics but if you were to like just imagine with all the plastic it's a dirt bike but but you lose it in the translation yeah so we took it to a little area we go it's like a dried creek bed with a bunch of paths going through it and you know a bunch of rocks and stuff a little playground here like a little playground and um i was really comfortable in there and there was some like like uh where you have to go down into the creek and then up the other side i'm like i'm sizing it up there's rocks but then it it took it it did it yeah and it felt fine and i felt good the only issue i had was one it has the aftermarket center stand and that thing just kept crashing down (coughs) i was thwacking thwacking constantly did you damage it did you inspect it no i didn't no the other thing is i forgot to switch out the windshield i had the big touring windshield on it (laughs) oops yeah, so it there was like one time get, I had cracked the windshield. It's like you're going to get throat punched the entire time <laughs> by the windshield. But, you know, we ran. The other thing I was curious about, and I can't remember your make and model of tires. They were like street-oriented dual sports. Eminos, are they uh, Avalon? The Avalon, Avalon or something? Avon? Avon? Yeah. 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 But we were running, uh, and when I told Liza, I'm like, you should check out the air pressure. We were running, what, 18 and 16. And I thought that was a good compromise. Yeah, not no, I, what that's we about doing. where you want to be in dirt. But yeah. I'm like, but it was, but I'm like, if you could run those a little lower, but it was pretty grippy. You, you really got to watch it when you yeah. go lower yeah, than no. that. If you if you haven't got security bolts, 
Yeah, there's no um, oh, no because if the, rim yeah, locks. If the, yeah, if That's there's no rim Liza. locks, you, you know, once you get below kind of the 15 mark, it's sketchy. Especially on a bike with that much torque, the last thing you want to do is give it the bean, spin, yeah. spin the tire, and just rip it. I was surprised how fast you could go. There was a like towards the end, you were hauling ass at one point. I was getting more comfortable with it, and talking about comfortable, I was very comfortable. I can stand up and ride. You even said that those uh, foot pegs, ADV foot pegs, felt like floorboards. I know, I stood on. I'm like, oh my god, wow, you're really stable. Huge. Um, and even sitting, um, but yeah, amazing how stable it felt. You know, are, are so, you getting motosexual towards this KLR? Well, you're it, it passed it. the test. It, okay, that, that, that was an opportunity for it to fail big time. No, it was a good and test. It passed. The only but, other issue I had with it, so I have the uh, KLR tail bag on it, and this is this big, um, it's a textile, it's like a cooler tail bag it's pretty big but it's all textile and it's held on with straps and velcro right and there were a couple times when i was kind of charging that i felt it like whacking me in the back of the butt (laughs) (laughs) i'm like what the fuck it's there's nothing in it the way is nothing and at one point when we were riding this playground area it popped the velcro strap and was (laughs) sliding up the seat (laughs) and i was like what the heck you know what i found out goddamn doug what? what? What did he do? He played a prank on me. Did ah. you put a dildo on there? No. Ah. He um, had brought to the garage this old um, car jumper. <laughs> it's basically like a car battery with leads for jumping right. mm-hmm. cars. And I said, thank you. I don't need it. I've got a, plenty of that stuff around here. So as a joke, he put it in my tail bag. <laughs> and I've, I didn't look in my tail bag That's before I went dirt biking. <laughs> so I was riding all day with basically a car battery in the back. Well done, Doug. <laughs> and worse still, perfect. Doug actually said one of us put him up to it. <laughs> he said which, he, he, he was peer pressured into doing it. Which they made <laughs> no. do it. Take so responsibility here, for yourself, so, man. So here's the only the issue I had with, with Liza's KLR, because it was very capable. We were taking that little trials area, and it would go up and down stuff and over things. A big 21-inch 21 wheel yeah. makes a big difference. Oh, and I went through the sand there. You're very exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Tra-la-la. Liza, all of a sudden, her favorite thing about the KLR, I've discovered dirt biking, is the horn. She's blowing her horn at <laughs> fucking everybody. I'm like, oh, no, 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 Well, quad sucks. Hold on. So we can say this that, is something but. you do. When you're coming up on somebody, you beep, beep, I'm here. In beep, Pakistan, beep, I'm here. Well, yes, in yeah. Pakistan. No, well, in so, Pakistan, you did. Bring it to America. Let everybody. So it was I'm great. like, wait a minute. I've got a horn. I'm behind Liza, and she rolls up on this quad, and fucking quads just suck. But she rolls up on this quad, and you're all, and I'm like, she's going to beep the horn. And you beep the horn, and what did the quad do right in front of you? Okay, first of all, they were all out to get me. <laughs> all of them. They always are. Surprisingly, Labor Day weekend, Hollister was empty hmm. yeah, it's there red was not that many no people. red sticker um i had many incidents of people trying to cross the path here here as i come or kids swerving but this one guy on a quad and i'm like coming up on him and he's kind of in the middle of the road so i like beep beep <coughs> the policy is you're supposed to stay to the right slower vehicles to the right yeah so i go beep beep so he Starts to go to the right, and I start to <laughs> speed up to pass him. And then he goes, he zigzags across oh, me Jesus. to the left, like, oh, did you mean for me to be here? It was and like, I'm like, uh, ah, no. It was and like a CHP traffic break. Back this guy's across me. Oh, my God. And then he starts to zigzag back across again. And I'm like, 
I speed up and I'm yelling, stay to the right. Squirrels. <laughs> what, is, what is wrong with you? And he I'm was yelling, zigzagging. don't beep your horn because we're dirt biking. Just go by the guy. <laughs> well, there fucking was, dirt biking. You blew your horn like all day long. I You're did. blowing your beep, fucking beep, horn. Beep, beep, your I've, never, I've a, never heard it in my life. There's another guy. There were two guys on like mini bikes and I was coming up <laughs> you, on them. You couldn't wait and to I'm blow like, your horn. Beep, beep, just let him know. Here, I'm coming. Did they give you the and finger? No, you know what and the guy did? how did that work out? He, he... Turned Spin left up. across me. I beep beeped, and he stopped. And he turned and looked at me with these big eyes, like a deer in the headlights, and just stopped in my path. And I'm like, "What is wrong with people?" Squirrels. What is wrong with people? I don't know. I wish they would stop blowing their fucking horn, though. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, Jim. The first thing I take off every motorcycle is the horn because I don't even ever want to have to blow. You know, people get very steamed up over horns. I don't get time. it, but right, bagel in Pakistan. That's what you do when you're yeah. coming up. It's a beep beep. Hey, I'm here. Curse. Just letting so, you know. So I'm you're here. doing the correct, you know, per- percussion beep beep like real fast. Yeah. What I don't like is the people who go like. Eh. Like, right, no, that, I, that's like, aggressive. Well, what Liza didn't mean, notice is we weren't in Pakistan. We were in the birthplace of the American biker, <laughs> Hollister, California. You know what you do is you just have a little bicycle belt because it's more courteous than a horn, apparently. I, I'm with you there, Knock. That sounds yeah. good. And, and Terry, ding, you're, you're, you're ding. taking issue with my 139 decibel stable Nautilus horn? Uh, did, he, did he get that off a of Cadillac? <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, at the end of it, like, what's what was the point? Like, you, you're old and you like your Kayla better. <laughs> no, it, it passed a test. What I'll say is is I was I was really happy how capable. I mean the bike's super capable. The plastics throw you. If you take the plastics off, it's a it's a it's a tractory dirt bike. It's fun to ride, it can suck up the humps, all that kind of shit. It's still really boring. But it works for Liza, so don't pick on her. Um Yeah. Well let's go with that. So no, it passed a test. It did better than I thought it would. Though it's getting used to this gearing and just uh, it's a different style of riding. And I'm kind of getting even you were saying, Jim, like, oh, this is what like Jocelyn, who's been a racer. And now it's like, oh, you ride these big bikes and you just ride slower and methodical. Mm-hmm. And there's something to it. Yeah. Well, when I hopped off, I was on my KLX 250, which is light peppy, um, you know, just a light peppy dirt bike. And uh so you're always on the throttle. It's like look up and get on the throttle. Um, but it was on on your bike because it was it was heavy. I don't know what it weighs. Probably close to 400 pounds. Um, it's a different style of riding, but it also sets up different. The handlebars seem to be a little wider. It was a heavier bike, so it was just like like I said, it went from it was like from playing tic tac toe to playing chess. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I think part of it too is I think I am going through the change. And I just realized that, (coughs) you know, I didn't enjoy my DRZ 400 and and zipping through as much as I used to. It felt a little more uncomfortable to me. Now I felt more comfortable riding slower and smarter. Yeah, well, I would turn around at points where like it would be kind of sketchy because of loose sand or ruts or combination of both in the turn and i would just kind of slow down and keep an eye out and and you looked you looked very comfortable on that bike even in the the trickier terrain so yeah i think you you, you know what i'd like to say calling and i would like to see bagel years riding a vespa with knobby tires one of these days i'm gonna build around we keep talking sales. about it yeah no it's it. a way to go time and money so it's yeah I like, like everything time <laughs> very cool fucking money so um <laughs> 
Let's get to some emails. Email time. Yes, we do a two-hour jam today. Knock. What you got? All right. We got one called a little clutch help over here from Matthew. Matthew. Uh, okay. Hey, guys. This is Matt in Orem, Utah. Bonjour, Matthew. I'll, be, I'll get to the point here. I have an 04 Yamaha FZ1 with 47K on it. Yes. <clears throat> and over the last few thousand miles, it started getting a, grump, a little... It started getting grumpy about shifting. What year? Uh, uh, 04. Okay. In stop and go traffic, it the shifts from first to second and back from second to first make take some finesse. Okay. Yeah, shifts above that are smooth and happy, but All those right. damn downshifts make me uh, work for it. All right. Uh, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling this clutch slip under hard acceleration, and the friction zone between engaged and disengaged hasn't changed. Uh, I've noticed that the shifts are easier after an oil change. But uh, after a thousand miles or more, they go back to the same. Uh, is this a clutch issue, transmission, or something else? Um, it's clutch. Have, well, it's one of two things. Yeah, uh, I have uh, bike fever so bad right now, and some serious wood for the MT10. But uh, this FZ is such a great bike, and now I want to keep oh, it God, happy. Oh God, they are. They know they're great bikes. Yeah, and I'm a recent Patreon subscriber, and uh, oh, love, thanks, mate. Love uh, listening to our show. Um, yeah, even before that, Norman fella. This is BN before Norman, <laughs> and I hope you can help me out here. Uh, I know y'all like keep living the dream out there, sunny in sunny Santa Cruz. So, and this, um, you know, this was an email sent to us here, yes, the Recycle Motorcycle Garage at gmail dot com. Not one of the special emails that come to Emma for our Patreon subscribers who are paying for the service. Which of Matthew getting, can now. Well, of getting Emma's uh, service, so I answered it. So you got the the. The, the JV the ask team. Liza. And I was I was happy to say my inkling was, sounds like if the clutch plates are worn, they're still grabbing enough to ride, but everything's going to be out of spec. And, it's, and right. that was my guess that it needed new clutch plates. And yeah, you, exactly. You and, you know, it's, it, that's where I'd look. Um, and that's especially if, if, thing, right? if the clutch pack's got a bit of heat in it and he's just got one, all it takes is a little bit of one of the steel plates to get a little bit of warp in it. It's not going to disengage completely. Mm-hmm. There's going to be that tiny, tiny little bit of drag. you got a tiny little bit of drag. You ain't finding neutral anywhere. The other thing it could be, um, if I remember the FC1, the gear shift runs through a linkage. And if that linkage, if any of the pivot points are worn or the rivets are worn on the rose joints, that's going to give you a really, really hard shift. So two things to do, Matthew. One's easier than the other. Have a look at the gear shift. Make sure that the gear shift itself can move up and down freely. Make sure that all the rose joints where they're riveted on the pedals, those are tight. Make sure that nothing's baggy. And if the gear shift itself and the linkages look good, pull that clutch back out. Just get, you know, I'd get a good quality like EBC clutch pack and so, springs, bang it in. 47,000 miles, you need a clutch, mate. Yeah, and that's, I, I think he's put personally about 20,000 on yeah. it. I said, you're, you know, just put it in anyway. Shit, that's Even if it doesn't fix the problem, it needs it. That's a 150 horsepower bike. Yeah. You bet it needs a clutch pack after 47,000 miles. So this kind of reminds me of a problem I had when I had my R1100 RT and I had a problem shifting in the higher gears. Right. It just wouldn't. Going, go into yeah, gear yeah, yeah. and i finally figured out what the problem was and with a bmw you have to be concerned bm trouble you right and it turns out that my 
plastic bodywork. It has a hole that the shifter comes through. Uh-huh. And the bodywork itself, had, I think the screws got a little bit loose. And it shifted. And, and it shifted down enough <laughs> that the shifter was hitting the top of the hole in the bodywork mm. and just not shifting all the way. Right. And it's something as simple as that. Yeah. And I yeah. just had to slide it up a quarter of an inch. I, wow. You know, I had a similar thing at work. A couple of weeks ago, a guy just, his, his bike, he said it won't shift down, it won't shift down. And I got on his bike, and sure enough, it wouldn't shift down. And what it was, was that over the years, the side stand had worn enough that it was now, when it was retracted, it was a couple of millimeters further up, and mm. the spring was encroaching on the gear shift linkage. Wow. And all I had to do was just put a little blob of weld on the on the side stand, and move it back down like two millimeters, <laughs> and the gear shift was perfect. Damn. So you know, you know, Clear yeah. I, the uh, my worst case scenario for this guy was like your fork shifts. Shift yeah, forks, yeah. yeah. Fork shift. If that's bent, sorry. Yeah, they could be bent or worn, or your drums might be bent or worn. But I mean, I think I think I'm thinking it's first, clutch. first to second though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's well, it's usually the simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. gear shift linkage is outside simple. and yeah. is literally a five minute check. Yeah, clutch pack. Yeah, it's a couple of hours check, but it's still easy. Yeah, and then you work to the yeah. Let's pull the engine and split the cases. Yeah. That's your last case. Yeah, but it ain't going to be that. So Matthew, don't worry. <laughs> but um, stump the chumps. You know, write in and let us know what it was. Yep. So all right, I have a long one here, but it's good. It's worth reading. Okay. All and right. I believe, all right, the, there's a couple different there's different names here in the header. So I believe this is from Rusty Key. Nuts. Rusty Key. Rusty Key? Really? K-E-I. Oh. Rusty Key. Is that Key K. or Kai? K. K. Rusty K. Okay. All right. Hi, Rusty. Hello, misfits. Well... After listening to all your terrible advice, Hardly. I bought an XR400 with the idea to ride it to work to save on gas and insurance. I'd still have my car for days with iffy weather, but for then, the three miles trek to work, this was going to be the right bike. After scouring the internet, I found the Tank, a supposed indestructible and reliable 1998 XR400 with a new Stage 2 cam, hmm. Yoshi Pipe, a uh, new Aloop tank kit and all the eye candy a young lad wanted. It was hot and ready. One issue, the carb was dirty and needed rejetting for so the cam. Dirty. Or so the seller led me to believe. <laughs> it started but ran like shit. So I handed over the $1,000 to the cunt. <laughs> oh, Sorry. <clears throat> I handed over the money. To her, the cunt selling it, loaded her up and drove the three hours home. I got home and tore into that car like a kid on Christmas and two presents. It's kind of dirty, but I end up cleaning it out easily. New plug, new oil, the works. She should almost run like a top. Wrong. Won't start. I go over everything. I feel air blowing out the car when I kick it. I adjust the valves. No more air, but still nothing. It's getting spark, air fuel, and is even lighting up the headlight with the kicks. Hmm. Swap plugs, nothing. Then I get four extreme backfires. I check the valves. They're all out of whack again, and I get a glimpse of metal shavings. Ooh. Head cover comes off. 
it's Armageddon in there. Oh. No bearings on Cam, and it's eaten everything in the head. Oh, jeez. Bent valves, chain is toast, Cam fuck, cylinder chewed up like my dog's bones. Wow. I decided I'm unqualified at this point and take oh, it to the no. shop. They give me a list of parts. I order them ebay bends me over like a porn star all the parts don't fit with each other and the oem parts won't even move seven hundred dollars in parts and some labor useless nightmare at this point i say fuck it and let it sit a month goes by and i decide on getting a new motor no one is selling one anywhere scoured the web like an 18 year old looking for a new pirating website (laughs) well i find an ex 400 motor do some research and find it might fit an electric start i'm sold Sounds like a plan. I buy it. Guy is super cool. Throws in a Makuni pumper carb and all cables and wiring. I get home. She's dirty, but I'm not worried. I heard it start before uh, before it was pulled, and it ran no issues. Crashed quad guy had bought it for his son's quad as a backup motor. I finally grow some balls after three weeks and start putting it in and seeing what needs to be done. Nothing fits. But I look at it and figure out if I straighten the bottom from clamp, it bottom front clamp, it lines up at the back swing arm bolt holes. Band issue (laughs) two swing arm is three cunt hairs and a toenail too narrow. Fuck me. But wait. Oh boy, come on. I look to see how far off I'm fitting. I look close and voila, it's the bearing races. I run to the grinder and start shaving and measuring, shaving and measuring slowly, but surely I ground them down, pop those sons of bitches in, and it fits. Wow. So he finally got her done, and she purrs, but not done yet. Now he's got to put in the new carb, do all this stuff. So he's uh, fixing it up, odds and ends. He keeps spending time on it here and there. He says, thank you for keeping my Mondays at work go a bit faster. Liza, you can make $5 a minute with that voice. Probably ruin some marriages, too. (laughs) Emma, your knowledge is deep, kind of like your historic holes. (laughs) (laughs) Knock, award-winning Mike, Mary Bagel, the cat, Bex, Gimpy, Henry, (laughs) and the pupper who's always making a ruckus, Bosley, and all the rest. (laughs) Bagel has me wanting a scooter for my now 16-mile commute, and I almost succumb to my desires, but my wife says I I, one bike until I finish my race car. Mm, finish that race car and get a scooter. There you go. Get a Vespa. So what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it, it's so often the case. And, you know, people, I see it all the time on Craigslist. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily motor things. People have this dream. They have this dream. I'm going to build my dream bike. And they realize they're out of their depth. So what do they do? Put it on Craigslist. Oh, just yeah. needs and a carb be- adjustment. And then it be- exactly, mm. and then it becomes somebody else's problem. Yeah, you've got to be so careful what you're buying. Emphasis on problem. Yeah, Terry, what do you got there? Uh, let's see. We got an email here called "Batteries and Airbags." Uh, hey, Misfits, I just recently found your podcast via the Electric Motorcycle Forum, where I was checking in on how Brandon Miller was doing after his accident. I've been semi-binging from episode 261 ever since. Well, at least the best as a 40-something family guy can make time for to binge listen. These are long. I've been, <laughs> yeah. I've been riding since 2012 and only on zeros. A 2011 XU, then a 2015 FX, then a 2015 
SR. I've been acquainted with Electric Terry. Hey, hey, via Facebook mm-hmm. the last few years. Hollywood Electrics, Mucho Accessory Orders, and now Brandon and Morgan via my DigiNow orders. At this point, I'm fairly convinced I'm the only zero left in Alabama. Ah, I know I know. there's at least 30 there, Chuck. I'll have to introduce you guys. Um, I wanted to ask your opinions on the Halit Turtle Airbag. Helite Turtle Airbag products. I already have the leather jacket, but since I hear a good bit on the podcast about gear, I'm curious what your group thinks about these. Roll Tide, Chuck Burgess. Oh yeah, I knew Chuck. I've, I've, I've talked to Chuck before. Ah, cool. Um, we had um, we had Helite in, uh, and they showed us how it works, and I'm I think it's great, especially since. Um, Airbag vests are being used more and more with racing. Knock, you were up at the mm-hmm. races this weekend. Are people wearing airbags yet? Uh, I saw two or three. I think I might have saw like an Alpine Stars fully pro-style um, accelerometer-engaged type airbag uh, suit. I'm not sure I even like the name of that thing. So, yeah, I, that's what I call it. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, it's just... Uh, Erin actually has a vest. She's got a headlight vest and uh, light. Excuse me, and it attaches to your bi- uh, motorcycle. And if you get off, you know, you get a get off. It it pops the can- canister. And the only the only garment I'm interested in that has an accelerometer would be a dildo. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what's what's the uh, false setoffs of these things? I guess you have a CO2 cartridge you got to put in. And um, yeah. if you get thrown off the bike, but if you just step off the bike with a little bit of tension, does it set it off or does no, it require? No, it requires a, real, a significant, significant tug. Yank. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that any added yeah. safety gear. I mean, I I can be sure. I wish Brandon Miller had been wearing one. I think that would have helped. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. would it? That's the whole point because he had a compression injury between oh, helmet true. and shoulder yeah that's true you know so yeah. it might not have helped but you know right. it's go- it truthfully it's going to help somebody so it's no I, th- I think it's a, a great direction we're going in safety gear emma you have one last email oh i have one la- now which one this one yes uh okay so here is a challenge for you from ken harrell can you identify this monstrosity? No, I can't. It's a it's a thingy. I think it's Chineseium. So describe what you're looking at. What I am looking at is a three-wheel machine. And it is obviously a very, very small capacity um, engine and single wheel at the rear. And then there's a tubular steel chassis, which is painted a very lurid shade of orange. <laughs> and there's some... Um, I would say a sofa <laughs> of blue, of blue Norgahide in the front, which is kind of angled up. It looks like a carnival ride with mm-hmm. lots of sheet aluminium. Yes. So, um, and a little canopy so, to go over the... Yeah, a little, little, little... Passengers. And it looks like a, a pull, pull motor in there, a pull start yeah. motor. Yeah, you know, so I mean, what it's, is it's this? little oh, Briggs and Stratton means. thing. Um, you know, it's like a... It, I would say it's, it, it's a modern interpretation of a rickshaw. Yeah, mm-hmm. motor rickshaw. You know, it's a motorized rickshaw, but it it looks an appalling death trap. It really does. Yeah. So you've not seen it. I wanted you to look at. You've never seen anything like this. Oh no. Okay. Oh no. So it's probably just somebody's home build project. I would say you know it looks very much like somebody's dream. Nice. <laughs> but not mine. <laughs> not mine either. <laughs> All right. I think that does. It. I think we're getting ready to wrap. Um. 
upcoming rides we've got the the 20th of this month yeah it's coming up we're gonna do uh, yosemite hopefully yes. it's not completely on fire but i think we'll be safe oh, yeah. so i'm really looking forward to it i mean i we've i've done some riding up in the sierras before and it's it's just gorgeous so to be able to actually ride through yosemite valley and check it out that's dope cool but we got all sorts of stuff we've got there's races coming up we've got aim coming up i'm gonna be out in mojave desert before long yeah we're gonna be at the aim expo in vegas in october and knock you spent the day at the races do you got some interviews today I got a couple of interviews. Yeah, it's mostly a couple of the regular amateur racers who are doing AFM, you know, uh, s- smaller class, I guess, type well, cool. races. Yeah, yeah. let's, uh, we'll get let's put something together out with put that. Some up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone else have anything coming up? Bagel, any weird scooter rallies? Um, nothing at the moment. Cool. <laughs> Just regular. I think that it's... Can, uh, I, can I say something before no. we go? Uh, yeah, yeah. When you downshift into town, you must blip it. When the rear end comes around, you must blip it. Blip it good. (laughs) Charger passed 50,000 miles this week. Hey. Hey. Nice, Charger. Nice. So um, a big thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers. We've gotten gotten a bunch of new subscribers lately, and I just wanted to say thanks. That money goes to good use. It really does. I bought a new dead blow hammer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's it's a very lurid shade of orange. (laughs) Yes. Jolly super. Exactly. Um, All right. So I think we got a lot of stuff going on. We got, oh, next weekend. We can't tell anyone. No, don't. So we got a big interview next week. Big weekend. surprise. I'm just going to say we're checking off another AMA Hall of Famer from our list. Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next weekend. And I cannot wait. I'm so looking forward to this. This is a big one. It's Stop building it up, man. This is a big one. You want to disappoint people. Oh, no, 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 no. This is about me. <laughs> I am excited about this. <laughs> so I think on that note, we're ready to get out of here. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. This is Liza. Blip it good. Vagel. <laughs> Emma Darling. Electric Terry, go electric. This is John. Naked Jim. And we're out of here. Cool. 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 That's my $5 voice.